and truly believe that I need to follow what feels right at the time and what I'm interested in at the time. I like putting myself in situations where I need to learn and adapt really quickly. I think that's one of the things I do enjoy is making, is putting myself in a kind of uncomfortable situation and having to learn. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. The pause on international travel has had an impact on many lives. Some have been stranded abroad and had to bide their time until a seat on a plane becomes available to come home. Others have missed out on opportunities further afield because they have no means of taking the adventure they'd intended. But for some, that roadblock has created new opportunities to express their creativity. Anna Ugate is the head chef of the Old Fitzroy Hotel in Sydney. Anna, how are you going? I'm well. How are you doing? I'm good. It's good to have you on the show. You, you're meant to be uh, in Spain or in Basque country at the moment, but the pandemic kind of got in the way. T- tell us a bit about that. Yeah. So um, I was supposed to leave to go and work in Spain um, probably like three days before the lockdown happened last year. I was supposed to fly. And I kind of like got to a point where I was so convinced that I was still going to go, even though there was a pandemic going. Um, and everyone around me kind of turned around and was like, you know, you can't leave. Like, I know you, you could probably still get into the country, but what's going to happen? And I'm so glad I didn't because I was supposed to go and work with a friend in um, Ibiza for the summer. And um, I would have just ended up being stuck. It would have been the middle of summer on a beautiful island, but I would have been stuck in an apartment just like looking out the window um, for maybe three or four months. So, I mean, it's like I'm very lucky and everyone who I tell that story to now um, just um, expresses like even though I'm missing out, I'm still very lucky to have been um, caught in the right place, I guess. Well, you've had an incredible um, sort of two years in some ways. You've won the Josephine Pinelay Award and part of that you wanted to um, go to Basque country. Can you tell us about what your plans were with that? Uh, yeah. I, well, I mean, I've always – my family is um, from Spain, from the north of Spain. All of my the family that lived there now live in Santander, which is not technically in the Basque country. But I spent a lot of time in that part of the world um, and I love it. And I was – going to hopefully intern at Asura Stabari, um, which would have been pretty spectacular. I'm still hoping to go eventually. I'm not sure um, when that's going to happen, but yeah. Um, I mean, I've never actually been to the restaurant though. I, I, I worked for Lennox Hasty at Fyodor for a couple of years when they first opened um, and heard a lot about it, about it from him. But um, yeah, it was always closed because they they closed for like the summer season or something. They closed for like two or three months. So whenever I've been there, they've been closed. <laughs> well, uh, what was what was it like winning the Josephine Pinelay Award? Can you tell us about the process and and what impact it's had on you? Yeah, I mean, um, it's a funny thing because you know when I first started cooking, I think it was the year that Lauren Elridge won, and she was the first female to win the award and I think that was kind of I knew about it and I knew how how important it was but then I, it kind of clicked that um you know maybe it could be something that I could do one day and because I started cooking um quite late I guess by regular standards um I kind of decided to set myself a couple of goals to kind of push myself because I knew that I had a lot of catching up to do and if I didn't I could I'd just end up like you know, I kind of, I kind of decided if I was going to cook, I needed to yeah, push myself. So I 
I guess in a way I didn't actually sit down with myself and be like, one day I'm going to win the JP award, <laughs> but it was, it definitely was on my mind. And, um, I went and interned at Noma for the, for the opening of their, um, Noma 2.0. I was part of the opening stagiaire team, which was super great. Um, at, at the end of that, Renee was kind of like, Hey, like maybe do you want to trial for a job here? Blah, blah, blah. And in the back of my mind, I was like, well, I kind of want to go home because I was, I was, I don't know, 27 at the time. I was like, I want to go home because I do kind of still have this feeling of unfinished business. And I kind of wanted to put myself out there for at least once for the JP award. Um, and I ended up winning, which was a huge surprise actually I kind of guess I just wanted to be a part of the process and um you know go through that but um it was great I, I had a great time it was really nice meeting all the other um chefs who were part of it as well who I still keep in contact with so that's also a nice part you came to a cooking career late later than some um t- tell us about your childhood though what was food like when did food become interesting and and um, part of your life uh, I guess it always was. My parents um, both worked in hospitality. They met um, in the commercial cookery class at Ride TAFE, like, wow. um, however many years ago. They, neither of them were actually studying to become chefs. It was just part of the hospitality course, I think. Um, but they ended up moving over to London and working in hotels and restaurants and then moved back to take over my grandfather's like a motel and restaurant in Coffs Harbour when they were like 22 or 23, um, which is where I was born. And then um, they moved back to Sydney and opened a, opened a restaurant and then worked in um, hospitality training. My dad was the head of school at Billy Blue for a while and my mum also worked as a teacher there. So they were both pretty like I remember as a kid sitting at the dining table and them talking about all of the really like like about hospitality training and finding it incredibly boring um <laughs> but they were also both great cooks and on the weekends they cooked a lot um so I guess it's always been around I think I've always kind of thought of food as quite um special because they put a lot of emphasis on it like it wasn't necessarily like chefs or super fancy restaurants but just the like occasion of eating and yeah eating with the with family and with friends with australia being such a big country motels have been an an important part of all of our lives as we get in the car and travel what's what's your memories of your grandfather's motel and restaurant uh well a lot of people would actually know it because it's a bit of a a landmark it's the big windmill in coffs harbour so it's on the main road when you're driving up the coast and it's on the left it's now like in basically the industrial area of Coffs Harbour, but it used to be on a nice little hillside. It's a massive windmill built into the side of the hill. And um, it's, yeah, it serves Dutch, but used to, he, he was Dutch, so it was a Dutch restaurant. Um, and my memories of that are small, but I've gone back a few times over the years. But I think the cool thing about, I remember my grandma telling me about motels because her and my grandfather built a few along the um east coast of australia how it was such a huge part of like transportation around australia because the greyhound buses would be the main way that people would get places and so every afternoon they'd have busloads of people who'd arrive and then in the morning leave at 5 a.m it was a bit like clockwork kind of like um, airports now wow yeah you mentioned that you came to cooking late uh, or you were a late starter. Tell us about that time before that you went to university and, and what was the trigger to, to go into food? Uh, I, yeah, so I guess I started cooking when I was about 22, 23, 22. Um, 
I was at university. I was studying um, an arts degree at Sydney. I, I finished it actually. It's an arts degree at Sydney. My plan was to become a news journalist. Um, and I was working, yeah, I, but I kind of, the first few years of, hospital, of um, university, I worked front of house at some cafes and then um, a couple of small wine bars. And I guess working at those wine bars, it was just when the licensing in Sydney kind of switched over so you could have those small bars. Um, it was the first time that I worked with people who were kind of really interested in the world of food and wine and more in the, in a career sense. And I just found it really, I think this is what most people would say, I found it really intoxicating to be around people who are so committed and also just like the like crazy lifestyle of hospitality. Like it's different from, from the like nine to five jobs that I'd been kind of training myself up for at university. Um, and so then I stopped working in hospitality to go and take a job at the ABC, which I worked at for about a year. It was just a, um, admin job in business affairs, but it, with the idea that I was going to end up in the news department and I really missed working in hospitality. And so I kind of, I think I had a little bit of a crisis. I went to New York for a couple of months to visit a friend and then I came back and went out to dinner with one of my closest friends, Maddie. And, um, it was a restaurant called Stanley Street Merchants down on Crown Street, which pop up with Matt Stone and Joe Barrett and stuff. And it had been open a few days and um, I think Matt came up to us because we were sitting at the bar and was like, you know, guys don't know any chefs in Sydney, do you? Like we're from Melbourne, we don't really have anyone. And I was like, no, no idea. I didn't have a job at the time. I was like, no idea, whatever. And Maddie was like, you should, she was like, you don't have a job. Like you could, you're a pretty good cook. Like you should, you know, maybe you should, you know, be working in hospitality. Maybe you should give it a go. And I'm like, no way. I have no clue what I would be doing. <laughs> um, and so then um, – I have no idea why I said yes, but I went for a trial and ended up being their their breakfast chef for three or four months while they were up here and ended up covering a few dinner services. And I remember that for like the first dinner service I ever worked and um, Joe came up to me and like tucked a, a um, tea towel in my apron in the right spot and gave me a palette knife and showed me how to set up my section. And then we proceeded to do service and I remember watching them being like, oh, wow so amazing how well these people do their job like it was I think I was pretty lucky because I worked with I straight away worked with chefs who are really talented so I knew what it looked like um in reality but yeah and I just kind of I guess I just wanted I just wanted to be in that position where you're just so skilled at doing your job that you can just you know work a busy service like I don't know it seemed it was it it seemed so appealing to me um so, yeah, and then I finished my degree and worked part-time around the place and then through, through a friend of a friend um, got a call from Lennox when he was opening Fyador because I think they were pretty short-staffed and he employed me as a commie chef, which was my first full-time chef's job. So, yeah, and then I just went from there. So I kind of made the jump straight from working super part-time to being, working there and I never really looked back, I guess. Well, Fyodor kind of changed the conversation of cooking over fire in uh, Sydney and Australia. It was really happening in quite a few venues, but Lennox's approach is a little bit different. Tell us about that time and working with Lennox. Uh, well, I remember being, I think for me it was a big time of change because I was moving into working full-time kitchen hours, which is pretty hectic from going from not working full-time kitchen hours. Um, but I also remember, I think I'm really lucky because cooking 
the way Lennox does with fire is so much about like touch and feel. And so you're very, very connected to what you're actually doing. It's not like, you know, presetting um, the temperature on a sous vide machine or, you know, putting, and like, not that that's a bad way of cooking, but I think it just taught me a lot about, um, you know, the direct relationship between like what you do and the result you get from um, the food you're cooking, which I think is a really good place to start. But um, yeah, it was, it was really lovely. I mean, I didn't, I was, I was so junior. I just, I, but I did get, I did get along with Lennox really well and he taught me a lot personally. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I remember, I remember when I, I left Biodor and I worked at another restaurant. Um, they had a combi oven, which is one of the big combination ovens. It's, it's basically a computer and I had no idea what it was and I was so confused. And I think that says a lot about my first foray into, um, into the cooking world because it was super pared back. Um, but I think that set me up quite well, realistically. You've worked at some pretty incredible restaurants, Fyodor, uh, Hubert, Noma 2.0, um, Mamafuku, Siobe. What's, what's been the real um, important moments in your career so far that have influenced uh, where you are now? Um, I would say it's definitely hard to pinpoint one. I think in each, each restaurant you work in kind of builds upon what you already have and you kind of, you could take, you take very different things from each place depending on what they are. Like, you know, working at Hubert, you, I remember realizing how much like organization or how much like being a chef is about organization and like planning and making sure that everything, like you need to be looking ahead in time, like the rest of the week or whatever to make sure you've, your mise en place is, is completely tight because the restaurant was so busy and so big. Um, and then, you know, working at Noma, I mean, I just was a stagiaire there, which is definitely very different from having a full-time job. But um, I guess it was just like I, I remember very specifically the crazy energy that everyone there seemed to have. Like, you know, you'd get there at 7 a.m. in the morning um, and look down the barrel of a day where you'd finish at 11 or 12. But um there was never a point where anyone seemed like lethargic or was like, oh, you know, don't want to be here. It was all like all so – it was like everyone got there at seven and just started running. Um, and it was like – it was a crazy vibe. It was totally psycho but in a really exciting way because, you know, I think even now if I was trying to get myself up at six in the morning to do a full day of service and dinner service, I'd really struggle but it was something really intoxicating about being around a whole group of people who were just so like – wildly um <laughs> driven i don't know if it's driven maybe it was just like scared but either way <laughs> yeah paul carmichael is a bit of an enigma and um a beautiful cook and a beautiful man what, what was it like working in his kitchen at momofuku siobo um i loved working for paul um i remember i got the job with him after um if we just had a phone call after one night when I'd finished working service at Noma and we just spoke on the phone for about an hour about life and cooking and what we envisage like um, the workplaces to be and how people work and stuff. And after that phone call, he was like, well, you know, when we've got an opening, I'd love to have you in. And so I just kind of started there. Um, and we, I've, I feel like Paul um, 
taught me so much about like I think I went in there I definitely didn't think I knew everything about cooking but you know you've been working for a few years and you feel like you've at least got a good grasp of it but I remember him really drilling into me um how important it is to um like really taste everything you're doing and not rely on necessarily rely like rely on recipes for sure but that ingredients change seasons change um you know even depending on the day or whatever um you know, there's lots of things that change. And so the only thing you can really rely on is your taste. And so I think in terms of like a palate, it's, that's what really developed for me when I was there. Um, and I suppose that's why he's such a beautiful cook is because he's so reli- it's one of those things that he's so reliant on. And it's, uh, it was definitely, it's definitely one of the most important things that I've learned uh, in my career and something I still need to, I take now for granted in myself that I, you just, do that and I suppose I'm not I'm not saying that lots of cooks don't but it's still one of the things that I need you need to remind people to do sometimes or it's a good thing to remember just in general well uh, you're not uh, over in Spain like you expected but you have got a, a new gig at a um, glorious old establishment in in Sydney at the old Fitzroy um, t- tell us about how that gig came about and and what you've been doing there uh well, it came about in a very roundabout way um, through a friend, a friend's parents, who know the new owners of the building, and kind of were asking me. They um, were we were just chatting about something else, and they vaguely mentioned that they knew someone who was looking for a head chef for a pub in Woolloomooloo. Um, and to be honest, it was kind of like the last. Like I was very, I had no idea what I was going to do next. Um, I didn't know where I wanted to work or the restaurants I did want to work at didn't have any openings. Um, and so I was kind of like, sure, you know, whatever, like it's not going to hurt to have a chat. Um, and then I went and spoke to the guys from Odd Culture who are my new bosses. Um, and I think in the first interview, it's the first time I'd been to the Fitz in a long time. Like I'd been when um, Nick Hill was the head chef, but I hadn't really taken it in. Um and I remember just going in kind of without having thought about it too much and then them sitting me down and being like, so if you were the head chef here, what would you do? And I hadn't even, I hadn't really thought about it till that moment. And so I kind of like, I didn't make something up. I said what I thought was true. Um, but they loved it and they were like, well, you know, we're looking for someone to come in who can not only just like provide regular pub food but just kind of make this their own Um and yeah, it kind of went from there. I had another interview with them, and I think one of the most um, the things that really drew me to it was the you know the connection that that pub has with the local community and also with the theatre, uh, and being a place that's kind of like for everyone. It's um it's not too, you know, it's not it's on a, especially on a Saturday afternoon like out the front of the pub, you'll see like a whole range of people from all walks of life, and it really seems like a welcoming place, and I love that. Well, tell us a bit about your vision that you talked about that day and, and the, what sort of food are you cooking there? Yeah, I mean, that day I kind of I said what I wanted to cook, which is generally, which is kind of like I was like, you know, I can see it feel kind of seaside, med- vaguely Mediterranean, Italian, Spanish, Frenchy, um, maybe lots of seafood and um, not – and I was like, and I can definitely see a restaurant upstairs as opposed to just like an extension of the pub. I, I can see there being like different spaces that can have different food offerings um, and kind of people can come in and either have like a restaurant experience or a pub experience. And 
that was my proposal. And I mean, since we've opened now, we've got the restaurant, which has opened upstairs, which has been really nice. But so far, um, we have just been running the same menu throughout the venue, which has been pretty good, except I feel like it's, I need, I'm, well, I am going to move towards having more separate food offerings in different spaces because I know also like from being Australian, knowing what a pub is, like you can, you can, I can want to want people who come to the pub to, you know, order a beautiful fish main course, but realistically most people, if you're going to the pub, you probably want to eat some snacks. You want to like something not to like, um, not necessarily a full sit down meal, if you know what I mean. So going forward, I'm going to, I think as of this Friday, I'm actually going to start a bar menu downstairs um, with some more like snacky things. It'll be a little bit more Spanish leaning. I think um, I've got some really nice Spanish small goods, which I'm going to put on the menu. And yeah, it's, I think the main thing that I've learned over the last few months is that even if you've got a certain vision for a place, it's not necessarily what, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's what you want, but then you also need to be flexible as well. Like I don't think being rigid in, in a vision is always the right way to go. And so I've really like listened to what, well, I kind of listened to my own feelings about it and also to everyone who, all of our beautiful regulars and stuff who come into the pub. And I think that, um, keeping the restaurant upstairs is like a special, special or not special but it's more of a restaurant and then downstairs is more of like a snacky pub vibe is definitely where i'm heading yeah you've worked in some pretty amazing kitchens and now you're the leader in your kitchen how do you how do you run the kitchen and um deal with staff that's a good question i mean i'm still learning um this is my first head chef job and i just uh i feel like it's something that's really difficult to prepare yourself for um, before it happens. Um, I guess over the years I've definitely taken note of things that I appreciate and things that I don't appreciate in bosses like my own and other people's. Um, but when it comes down to it, especially when you're like going through the motions of opening a new, a venue, um, which you've never done before, I, you kind of sometimes, like I definitely, like you lose, you kind you can kind of lose touch in, with that, especially like I think for me, my main thing has been like learning how to be a leader because like I would, I, I know that over the last few months there's been points where I've definitely like just got lost in the motions of like actually doing mise en place and cooking and struggling to get ready for service when you're completely in the shit. Or like I, I have definitely lost sight of what it means to be like a leader and I've needed to kind of take a step back and be like even though I'm stressed and even though there's lots of things that need to get done I also need to be a manager and look after my staff as well and I definitely you know looking back there's so many times that I would have like changed like I haven't been horrible at all but I definitely haven't given been there to support people in the way that they probably needed to be supported but that's the thing with these kind of jobs is you learn as you go. Like there's no way for you to be perfect from the beginning. Or if there, if there is, I'd really like someone to um, tell me about it. Um, but yeah, I think like, even though it's only been two or three months, I think um, I've just been the learning curve. So I was joking um, to my boyfriend the other day, like the learning curve is, it's not been a curve. It's been more like a cliff that I kind of hit face on and I'm slowly kind of climbing, um, and I definitely, 
I can see how much I've I've grown already, um, but I've got a long way to go. With this greater role and um, more diverse sort of uh, job that you find yourself in, how, how has it changed you? Has it changed your cooking and the way that you approach um, your craft? I think that I've needed to be more realistic about what is achievable, especially considering, and I'm sure you've heard this from so many people, that there is a massive shortage of staff, kitchen staff at the moment, especially well-trained or experienced kitchen staff. Um, So for me, it's been that balance of like, I know I have so many things that I want to do and implement and things I would love to put on the menu and ways I would like to cook things. But realistically, when you're looking down the barrel of a service, which is for both a pub, which is mostly like steaks, and then also a restaurant upstairs, which is, you know, three courses, you need to make sure that the menu is streamlined enough that it's actually achievable because the worst thing you can do is set yourself, like you're basically setting yourself up for failure if you write this menu that's unachievable and then you know everyone ends up unhappy like the guests probably wait your chefs have a terrible time you're in the shit like it's not pleasant for anyone so I think um in terms of my cooking in the restaurant I've just needed to be really careful about what at least for now like at least until we have a full team of people because I definitely don't have that and have never had that since we opened the pub um I need to be really careful and strategic about writing the menu because you need to make it achievable first and foremost. Also delicious. That's the first, that's actually the first and foremost thing, but then, you know, manageable. You didn't uh, expect to see yourself in a pub, um, but you're creating and doing amazing things there. What, what do you see in your future in regards to food um, and what road do you see yourself going down? Mm, I have always struggled with this question because I – I truly believe that I should just uh, that I should need that me personally I need to follow what feels right at the time and what I'm interested in at the time and then I so far I've always ended up in in the place that felt right as well so I don't want to be too prescriptive with the with what I want in the future but I can see I definitely really like moving in stages of like very I like putting myself in situations where I need to learn and adapt really quickly. Um, And that's both like, I guess what I'm doing now, but also in the future I can say, like I'd love to put myself in a situation where I'm working at like some crazy three Michelin star restaurant and just like as a CDP and just learning heaps in that situation as well. Like I'm not necessarily like, but that being said, I could stay at the pub for like years and years. I don't really know. Um, so I don't know, but I do, I think that's one of the things I do enjoy is making, is putting myself in a kind of uncomfortable situation and having to learn. Um, yeah, it's hard to say. I want to just always do things that make me feel like, I don't know, I'm not going to say good, but feel like I'm making progress. You know what I mean? I don't know. Uh, do you see yourself uh, going over to Spain eventually to work? Ah, uh, well, you know, at some point I do still need to go and do my Josephine Pignolet in- internship. Like I'm still, <laughs> the cash is still sitting in my bank account. Like I have to do that. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to, you need to write a journal to, and submit that to good food and stuff. And I have every intention of doing that when I can, because, you know, that's part of winning the award um, is going overseas and learning and then bringing it back to Australia is kind of the, the vibe. Um, 
so yes in one way yes I've also always wanted to learn Spanish because I do like I have a Spanish passport and I can't speak Spanish and I find that um rude um I'm actually going to get my passport renewed tomorrow and going to the Spanish embassy is always a bit of a um shit fight because they they don't speak to you in English there (laughs) so (laughs) yeah um but yeah I definitely will I just don't know in what capacity um yeah, I mean, I'd love to study, like, down the line, I'd love to go to the University of Gastronomic Sciences in Italy and do, a like, a Master's of Food Writing or something like that. I'm not sure, but there's lots of there's lots of different options overseas. Well, Anna, very much looking forward to see, um, see what you do in your career. Um, you're doing amazing things at the Odd Fitzroy already, and uh, I think the world is your oyster. We look forward to catching up with you again and hearing all about it soon. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for chatting. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.